Have a seat, have a seat. Well, after about 400 weeks of this series, well, not quite that bad. After, though, 400 years of Israel being in Egypt, and after about roughly 200 of those years, them being in slavery in Egypt, and after 10 devastating plagues that have built up and built up upon themselves, Pharaoh's heart is finally softened, and he finally decides to let Israel go, to let Israel move into the freedom that God has from his compassion from chapter 2 onwards longed for them to have. And after those 400 years of being in Egypt, those 200 years of being in slavery, the the place that they were seeing, Pharaoh opens his mouth and he makes that declaration. And he says, you can go. You need to go. And this is a a nation-defining moment for Israel. And this is a moment that's going to set Israel up for the rest of their history. To this day, they look back on this moment as a moment of significant breakthrough as God shifts them from a place of slavery to a place of freedom. And I want to read this to you as we come into the Word together today because there's so much celebration and joy on the sense of God's heart as He sees His people released into their freedom. Exodus 12, which is where we see this take place, starting in verse 31. And this happens on the night of the Passover, right where we were last week and where we left off last week. We continue right here. During the night, that night of Passover, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up! Leave my people. You and the Israelites, go! Worship the Lord as you've requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go! And also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country. For otherwise, they said, we will all die. So as the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold for clothing. And the Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people and they gave them what they had asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians." The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth, and there were about 600,000 men on foot besides the women and children. And many other people went up with them as well, and large droves of livestock and and flocks and and herds. I wonder if you can sense the the picture that Moses is trying to paint here for the the reader, for this incredibly nation-defining moment. He says 600,000 men, he's using unfortunately the patriarchal culture of his day, just counting the men, and then he adds women and children. But scholars know that it was probably around about a million people that moved on that day. A million people who were released from their slavery and were beginning their long walk to the promised land. And this million people, it says here, there were also uh, people from other places, many other types of people. So it wasn't just the Israelites that were walking in this parade of freedom, if you will. We know actually later on in this chapter that Egyptians come with them. But we also know that there are other ethnic minority groups who were perhaps also enslaved in Egypt at the time that the Hebrews were enslaved there, who are also given their freedom and are also able to go with the Israelites. So a million people walking together, carrying all that they owned, which as slaves admittedly wasn't very much, on their backs with their herds and their cattle heading to a place of great freedom. And you can almost hear the conversations that must have been happening in this moment. You can imagine them saying, wow, can you believe it? Can you believe that this is actually happening? That actually change has come, that, that, that we're actually, God came through on his promises. I'm like, it's not that funny, but 
All right. <laughs> what was happening? Uh, is there a fly? I tell you what, that fly is from Satan. We've seen that fly many times. No, I'm not even joking. Once when I was preaching, it was like buzzing. All right. It landed on my head like three times. It literally is Beelzebub with wings. There it is in Jesus' name. I just prayed against distractions in the name of Jesus. And everybody says, so many other people, flies included, I've been to Egypt, lots of flies, are making their journey towards freedom and that conversation of hope is on their hearts. But right in the midst of all of that, Moses records to us four words in this story. Four words that actually seem completely out of place with everything else. Four words that, that actually are going to set up for Israel much of what God is going to do in and through them in the weeks and months ahead as they journey to their freedom. Four simple words that were the last words that Moses hears from Pharaoh's lips. Let me read these words to you. It's this, and also bless me. Pharaoh turns to Moses and says, and also bless me. I wonder if you could get your head around this moment. Pharaoh has the audacity to say to Moses, bless me. And you can imagine Moses going, what? Because you, you've been the architect for around 80 years of your life of the oppression and slavery of my people. You've been the very one that's decreed our hardship, that's caused my people to live in abject poverty. That's caused us to be under some of the worst slavery that's ever been in all of history. And Pharaoh turns to Moses and says, would you bless me? And, and you get the sense in this moment that Moses is like, what are you talking about? It defies all human logic to even consider that I would bless you for the years and the years and the years that your people have oppressed my people. But Pharaoh says, and also, bless me. When we sit in the, in the amazement of those words, we have to wrestle with some pretty major things. Because those words actually put a blinding spotlight on what is perhaps one of the most challenging teachings of all of our scripture and even central to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And it is this the call that we all have to bless, forgive, and release those who have hurt us, shamed us, done evil against us, abused us, or situations in our lives that have happened to us that have caused us great pain and hurt. Perhaps even failures that we've done that we still continue to carry around with us, whether it's people or circumstances or situations. The scriptures call us to this radical thought that we are to, to forgive those, to bless even those that have done harm to us. I mean, I mean, get your head around this. The very first act that Moses is called to do after he finally is set free is to bless the very person who has abused and caused trauma on his people. And there are, for all of us in this room, people that have hurt us, things that have been done to us, 
things that have come against us in our lives. And if you're anything like me, every single one of us in this room, we carry baggage of those moments with us. We carry the baggage of the words, of the abuse, of the trauma, and of the hurt. And when Pharaoh turns to Moses and says, bless me, you almost get the sense that that God is standing right there in the moment alongside with Moses. And, And that God is almost over Moses in this moment, wondering and looking at what Moses will do. Will Moses have the courage to walk in the opposite spirit to all that Pharaoh had done to him? Would Moses have the audacity to actually do something which doesn't seem to make any human sense? Would Moses choose to walk in the opposite spirit of a hardened heart and have a soft heart to the one who had so abused him? Or would Moses turn his back? Would Moses refuse? Would Moses harden his heart and walk away in a place of bitterness and resentment? It's important you understand that Pharaoh did not deserve forgiveness. Pharaoh did not deserve forgiveness. He had done what he had done. And it almost seems like it would have been unjust for Moses to respond in this way. But God's ways are actually often so different to our ways. God's ways and his call is often so much higher than our call. And what God is about to do in and through this moment is something in Moses' life that would be not just a turning point for Israel towards their freedom, but a turning point for Moses himself. What's interesting is that the text doesn't tell us whether Moses did it or not, which is really fascinating. And, And although it's an argument from silence, Scholars actually have have analyzed all of the five books of Moses' writing, the first five books in the Bible. And pretty much every single time that Moses is asked to do something that Moses does not do, he says he does not do it, and he explains why. And in this moment, scholars say, that because Moses is silent on the issue, as there are many other examples in those first five books, that when he's silent, it means he did do it, that the majority of scholarship believes that Moses didn't do, do it. He did bless. He did offer his forgiveness. He did turn to the very person who had so hurt him and his people. And he forgave them for those actions. And I think as we we sit with this, as I sit with this, I realize that I would not have. And, And I think if we're honest with one another here in this room today, if you're honest with yourself, I think perhaps all of us would have struggled to do that. I mean, think about the weight of that moment and all that it seems to hold. But God is calling in Moses and in Israel something that is so deeply profound that we all have to wrestle with. That our ability to forgive and to bless those who have done harm to us is perhaps the single most important thing we can do to both embrace and retain the freedom that God has designed for us. Come on, church. Our ability to forgive and to bless, to release the people who have done harm to us is actually perhaps the most important thing that we will ever do to enable ourselves to truly be free in this world. And and God is standing with Moses in this moment, wondering what Moses will do. God knowing that if Moses refuses to bless, 
that Moses is going to leave Egypt with a heavy heart. Moses is going to leave Egypt from a place where, where he's still carrying so much of that pain. So you need to understand that it's perfectly possible to be physically free, but to be emotionally, spiritually, and mentally chained. And God knows that if Moses doesn't, doesn't do this, if Moses can't find the ability in himself to let Pharaoh go, to release him, to forgive him, to bless him, then he's going to be emotionally, spiritually, and mentally chained even in the place of freedom that God's given to him. And so God is inviting this moment. It's a terribly difficult one to get our head around. It doesn't seem in our human thinking to be just or right. And yet in it, in it comes the greatest amount of freedom we will ever, ever know. The freedom of being set free from the things that want to continue to chain us. Hmm. In this way, this passage is actually not about Pharaoh releasing Israel. This passage is about whether Israel will release Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's request to Moses is actually God's invitation to Moses. God's invitation for Moses to be able to finally, fully, and completely walk free from the pain of his past. And I want you to know this today, whether you're in this room or online right now, it's the same invitation today to you. This moment right here, as we unpack this idea of what it means to love your enemy, what it means to bless those that have hurt and harmed you. Right here is an invitation for you to walk into the greatest moments of freedom you will ever experience. Here's the reality. In every single moment of your life, there are three paradigms at work. Your past, your present, and your future. And the great thing about being human is that all of us, in every moment of life, we're moving towards our future. We're constantly on the move towards our future. But when somebody or a situation or a circumstance has hurt us, and when we carry that hurt and we hold on to that pain, when we feel that anxiety and that fear and that frustration, that sadness, that depression, whatever it might be, when we're holding on to that, here's what it's like. It's like we're walking into our future facing towards our past. It's like the past is the primary thing we're focused on as we're moving to our future. When you do that, you're walking into your future facing backwards. Now, if you're worried I'm going to fall off the stage, you probably should be worried. Because when you move into your future facing backwards, then you're in danger of not moving into the future that God really has for you. And I can't tell you the number of people, myself included many times, who are walking into our future facing backwards because we're, going to, we're allowing the pain and the hurt and the frustration and the disappointment or whatever it was that happened in our past to be the primary paradigm that's shaping our present and telling us about our future. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with the past. The past is, is actually a good thing. God's done a lot of things in your life in the past, I hope. And the past is a place where we, we get to see some of that stuff. We get to learn from our past. Even some of the hard things that have happened in our past, it's a way of shaping us and making us mature and helping us to be more the person God's called us to be. So it's not like the past is wrong, but the problem comes when we allow the past to be the primary paradigm by which we think about the present and we work towards the future. 
God does not want you to walk into your future facing backwards. He wants you to walk into your future facing forwards, facing towards all the promises and the goodness that he has. But that's going to require you and also bless me. It's going to require you to do the one thing that is the most powerful thing to release you from the pain of your past. And that is forgiveness. I was in Belfast a few years ago. And if you've ever been to Belfast in Northern Ireland, fascinating city. A city that's gone through so much in terms of its history. It's the place of the, the troubles where uh, Catholics and Protestants were basically at war between themselves on two streets of the city. And uh, when I was there, I, I paid for a walking tour. I like to walk, and I like cities. Walking tours are great. And you, basically, you hook up with this local guy, and the local guy takes you around for two hours, and he shows you the pubs where the bombings have happened, and, and the roads, and the separation between the Catholics and the Protestants, and you kind of get a sense of everything that's happening, or had happened in the past, in Belfast. And as we're walking along, he pointed out all this graffiti that's in the city, and he pointed out this one particular graffiti. I want to I read this to you. It said this. A nation that keeps one eye on the past is wise. A nation that keeps two eyes on the past is blind. And I think you could take that and you could apply that right to this moment here in Exodus. As God has now released his people and he looks at Moses and he says, Moses, keeping one eye on the past is wise, but keeping two eyes on the past is blind and also bless me. That the only way, Moses, that you can walk forward into the freedom that I have for you is to release all of the things that's holding you back, all the things that are bounding you backwards into the past that has hurt you, the past that has enslaved you. The only way you can move forward in the way that you can is by keeping one eye on the past, learning and growing from the things that have experienced you, but keeping those eyes focused in the front, releasing your two eyes, finding that freedom, and it will only happen... If we can find in ourselves the ability to bless, the ability to forgive, even the ones that have done the worst things to us. God invites us to recognize that our freedom only will come when we can let the past be the past. And the question we should ask ourselves then is how do we do it? Because Andrew, if you just understood the pain, I mean, you wouldn't ask this of me. Jesus, if you understood what I've been through, you wouldn't command me to be one who forgives. How do, we, how do we even get ourselves to the point where we can do that? To release the ones that have so hurt us and shaped us and shamed us. And, or even release ourselves. Sometimes the hardest person to forgive is yourself. Some of you in this room watching online right now, you, you, you're living a certain way in your life today. You're doing a certain job that you're doing because you've told yourself you don't deserve any better because of something that you did in the past. And you're as much enslaved to that thing as if someone else had done something to you. Some of you need to go and also bless me to your inner self and learn what it is to let yourself go from the mistakes and the brokenness of your past. When I was in Egypt, I had an uh, incredible chance to sit down with uh, a gentleman by the name of Peter. And Peter uh, had experienced perhaps some of the most painful atrocity and trauma that you could perhaps even face in your life. 
and had learned what it is to walk out of that in a call to forgiveness, to forgive the very ones that had brought so much pain into his own life. And as he sat there and shared his story with me, I realized that there were so many profound insights into this idea of what it means to bless and to forgive and to release that I wanted to sit down with him and capture it on camera, which is what we did. And uh, I can't wait to show you this. It's not easy in places to see uh, what happened for Peter, but I believe that inside of his story, there are so many nuggets for how you might be able to walk into better freedom for yourself. So let's take a look at Peter's story. Peter, we are so very grateful that you're with us here today and uh, that you're going to be willing to share your story with us. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you. Um, Why don't we start by you just explaining a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're from, where you grew up, uh, your family a little bit. Okay. So uh, we are a very normal family of (laughs) me, my father, my mother, and my sister, Maria. And we all grew up in, uh, in Egypt, in Cairo. And we are all uh, a Coptic Orthodox people. Mm. And we, like any normal family, we just go into Sundays into uh, the church. And then at uh, some certain point, we, I had a turning point in my life after an instant <laughs> happened yeah. in my life because of the pumping that happened uh, because of ISIS. Yeah. So my understanding is this took place in 2016 uh, in a in your church essentially here in Cairo. We we came and I, we also that nothing would happen in such a day because it, it is a very peaceful day, yeah. and we just uh, go me, my father, my sister, and my mother to the church. And then in the middle of uh, of the holy mass, a guy uh, a guy came into the church, and actually he he looked very weird like even his face even like you can google him you would you would like you would not him without 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 a doubt that he's he's not a christian he's mm. not full of peace he's not all of that and then after after the church was all happy was the church and everybody was going with the families in a moment i didn't hear anything the whole church went into darkness, and then we 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 saw like a dust everywhere, and then uh, the chairs, the wooden chairs were like flying everywhere, and the the glasses were throwing everywhere, and then there were there was a moment of silence. Everybody was understanding what is happening, and then I heard like screams everywhere, and I swear I never heard such screams like this in my whole life, and it was a slaughtery. A bombing at Cairo's largest Coptic cathedral has killed at least 25 people and wounded nearly 50 others. Most of the victims are reported to have been women and children. The explosion took place during a packed Sunday morning mass in a chapel adjoining St. Mark's. The cathedral in the capital is the main headquarters of Coptic Christians in Egypt. And then... I even forgot that my, my mother and my whole family was with me, so I just went to the place where they were screaming. Or I didn't know what happened. Mm. I just started to, 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 to carry the, the, the dead people. I just thought that they are okay, and maybe they are just injured. And then I started to remember that my mother and my sister are with me, 
and then when I came to my mother and sister, I just saw my father uh, in front of me, and he was asking me, they are both totally injured, whom should I pack to just go to the hospital? And then uh, it was a very hard question, it was a very hard decision. At the time, we just decided to pick up my sister because we felt like her chances are more better than my mother. And, and we even both, we just thought that my mother died, but we couldn't face each other at that point. And then we picked, I picked up my sister and I went to the hospital. And even, and even when she was in the middle of her pain, she was asking about where is Peter? Where is my father? Where is my mother? And she was, after she felt like everybody is okay, she, she felt like she started to look another way. And then she was uh, keep calling the name of Jesus. I felt like Jesus, Jesus. And I was asking her if she can see anything. And she just said, no, I just want to see, uh, check that you're okay. And that's it. And she passed away. And you must, I mean, how did you feel? You must, were you angry? Were you? I was totally angry, Andrew. I was not that good believer that he was saying that, no, this is what was written in the Bible. No, I was totally mad. And to be honest, I didn't expect God or I didn't expect Jesus to understand my feelings at this point. Yeah. I didn't even know how he is going to respond me. Yeah, it must be really quite incredible to think you're in a church, you're in God's house, and this tragedy happened right there. And it's very understandable that suddenly you were like, why did God allow this to happen? And the anger that you felt towards him. It must, must have been very strong in you. Yeah, and, and where is all, all of your promises that you are going to protect me? That no one would hurt me? That you are uh, like in, in your hands, God? Yeah. Where are these promises? Are these fake promises? What, what was all, all this book and all this Bible about then? Yeah. And I started to sit, to praying, and I felt like I need to say everything in my heart, even if I feel that it's not right to say to God, but I need to be honest, because this is this is a turning point. And then I started to say to him, since my childhood, I my mother, that you took from me, and my sister, they were encouraging me to pray and to be and serving in your house for you and for the glory of your name. Mm. How could you do this to me? How, how, how do you leave all the bad people are living and they are enjoying? By the way, they were even, the, 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 uh, when I was carrying my sisters, there were people outside of the church that were, they were supporting the Islamic people. They were just happy and they were clapping while I was carrying my sister. What? I, I told you I passed by a very difficult moment. Let me also ask you, so you were mad at God, very understandably. Were you, how did you feel towards ISIS, towards those that actually detonated the bomb in the church? If I'm standing in front of like a big hole, okay? Hole. Hole, yeah. yeah. And someone, a deep hole, and then someone pushed me. And then I, 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 I became totally injured and seriously injured. But by any somehow, 
I just got up and then I I I I came out of the hole. Mm -hmm. What would be like my reaction? I think to take revenge of that guy. But what if I saw that this guy is a blind guy? What are you going to do to him? <laughs> and he's totally blind. He, he, he never saw Jesus. He never know, knew a puppies. All what he knew is just he needs to go to heaven by a somehow, and this is this is this like a is suicide bomber. Uh, like. Yeah, and this is how he's going to 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 heaven. He wants to uh, to to kill the Christians because they are against God. Yeah, and maybe he was doing this because he loves God. Although this is not what I do believe. I believe like who tries to find God, God would find him as yeah. he's standing in front of the door, but he wants certain things, and that's it. So you're angry at God, you're obviously feeling strong emotions towards the people that have killed your mother and, and your sister. Um, we also know that the Bible speaks about forgiveness. Um, and perhaps one of the most challenging things the Bible says about forgiveness is when Jesus says, well, if you don't forgive, I don't forgive you. So it's a very strong command. And I think for a lot of people watching this, you know, they're probably thinking, well, you know, they have to forgive their spouse if their spouse says something mean to them, or maybe they have to forgive their, their child if their child does something, you know, naughty. You're in a situation where, where you need to forgive somebody for killing your mother and your sister while you were in the room. I mean, I, I don't think there's many of us who are watching this who have ever had that kind of level of need for forgiveness. Can you talk us through a little bit of that journey for you? How, how did you ever even get yourself to the point where you could take that command of Jesus and apply it to this incident in your life? To be honest, Andrew, at the first point or at the very beginning, I was even thinking that I want to get the revenge. I want to get the revenge. And I didn't know how. I never used to, to killing. I'm not used to killing. I never killed a fly. Mm. So what, what should I do as a revenge? I, I even started to, to look in the Bible. How can I get a revenge? Just give me a single example in the Bible of someone who got revenge. And actually, I got that example. I started to think, when uh, Stephen uh, died, uh, Saint Paul, he was that guy who's just carrying the, 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 the clothes for the people who are going to kill him. That's right. Right? When, when the soul of Saint Stephen went to the, to, to the skies and went to God, there is, there is a, a part in the Bible who says that the souls of the martyrs came to the Lord and then said, when uh, you are our almighty God, we are going to have a revenge for, for us. Mm. And he said he will get the revenge, mm. but later. Mm. Then I started to think, how did Stephen get his revenge? I think he got his revenge from the kingdom of darkness by getting Paul out of darkness to be the strongest guy who tells about Jesus. Yeah. And then I started, okay, this is my turning point. I want to take uh, that point. I want to take that revenge. I will take everybody who just blind by the darkness to just 
get him from darkness into light. And this is will be my strongest revenge then. Wow. What was it that really enabled you to fully forgive? Because obviously you were carrying some anger to God and, and to ISIS and to, to that situation. What was it that really allowed you to fully forgive and to release your forgiveness? As I told you, it was always like a continuous way of thinking. I, my head was, I, did, I couldn't stop thinking at any time. Mm. But every time I was thinking, I was just in, deep inside me. I was just telling Jesus, please don't leave me. Please don't leave me. Just guide me. And but by every time I was just thinking in a bad way, or, just, or I'm just thinking to hurt someone, I knew deep inside that this is, was not right. This is, was not Jesus want me to do. But at that point also, I totally knew that Jesus totally respects all our human feelings, and He just it just needs to be guided, mm-hmm. and that's it. And it, and it seems like in all that you've been sharing, um, that forgiveness really happens uh, through a process of being led by Jesus, knowing Jesus is with us, knowing he's present with us. And we're so grateful for that. I, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Um, I know it's not easy to relive emotions and feelings like that. And, to, and it's obviously a very personal story um, that you've so graciously shared with all of us. And I know that people watching this, you know, they're going to be able to connect to your story, even though perhaps they've never experienced anything like that in their life. But all of us have been commanded to forgive. All of us have to bring ourselves to the point where we even have to forgive those that we don't like, forgive those that are our enemies, Mm -hmm. even forgive those perhaps that have done the atrocities that have happened to your family. And the only way we can do it is if Jesus is with us in that process and if Jesus meets us in that process, as you've shared. Yeah. Thank you, Peter. Thank you deeply so much, for, for being willing to share that story with us today. And we're so grateful to you. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you. Truly, um, truly profound, right? What a beautiful man. Uh, what a beautiful story. Uh, and there are so many things that he shared in there that I think are very helpful for us as we think about the journey that we have to release the pain and the hurt and the brokenness of our past and particularly release those that may have done it to us. I want to share just a couple of quick ones just practically for you because I want you to be able to practically take something away uh, from what we've been talking about today. Here's the first thing. Always put safety first. Always put safety first. What I mean by that is we need to distinguish uh, between moments where we've had an abuse or something that's happened to us in our past and that's finished and we still feel the effects of it but the abuse is finished to moments where we're still currently under a place of getting abused. Obviously, the call to forgive when we're in a place of actual ongoing abuse uh, doesn't make sense and isn't right. Safety is always First, we have to get ourselves to the place where we come out from under that abuse before, I think, Jesus leads us into a process of forgiving the person that's been abusing us. You've got to note that, that Moses, Moses was actually in a process of his freedom when God asks him to bless Pharaoh. God doesn't ask him to do that whilst Pharaoh is still abusing them and they're still under a context of slavery. It's only once that slavery has finished that Moses is in a place where he can begin a process of understanding what it would be for him to bless and forgive Pharaoh. It's very important you understand this because forgiveness does not mean that you should stay in a situation of abuse. 
Forgiveness does not mean that you should go back to a person, potentially, who has been abusing you in the past. Sometimes in my pastoral work that I've been doing with the church over so many years, people begin to think that forgiveness means, oh, well, I guess I, uh, Pastor Andrews called me to forgive. I guess I just need to stay being abused by this person in this situation. That's my way of showing forgiveness. That's not what this passage is saying, and it's not what we're preaching. Safety first. Everybody understand that? Okay, it's really important. But here's the second thing. Okay, know that you're in a battle of power. I thought one of the things that Peter shares there was so helpful for us to think about the reality of power. And first of all, you've got to understand that you're in a battle of power by what the enemy has done to you through whatever circumstance or situation has happened in the past. And that power is held over us by manifesting itself in the emotions that we carry today when we think about that, emotion, that event in the past. So when we feel today anxious and frightened or sad or angry or bitter or whatever it might be, shame or failure today because of something in the past, that's the power that that thing still has over us. And forgiveness is God's way of disempowering the power that that event has, has taken hold over us. And so the reason why God calls Moses to do this is because he wants that power to go. He wants the power of all that slavery to be disempowered in Moses' heart and life by his ability to let it go. So you need to understand that you're in a battle of power. And the work of forgiveness is your way of disempowering what the enemy is trying to do for you to keep you locked in decisions about your present and your future based on the pain and the hurt of that situation in the past. Does that make sense to you? And I love the way that Peter brings this up as well. He talks about that idea of revenge. And he says, I, I wanted to get revenge by physically doing something you know, to that person. Uh, but then he said, revenge actually is this taking somebody out of the kingdom of darkness and bringing them into the kingdom of light. Wasn't that beautiful? He said, the best way that I can fight back ISIS for what they've done for me is not by picking up bombs and shooting them and making violence on violence. The best way is to embrace a nonviolent response in finding myself blessing them by sharing the gospel because they're blind people knocking people into holes. I mean, the guy whose mother and daughter, uh, sister was killed is able to say, there's a gospel work that could be done out of this that is the best form of what it looks like to make this thing right. And Peter's dedicated his life now to being somebody who ministers the gospel and shares the gospel with Muslims and Islamic people of that background, believing that if he can help some people come to see God for who he truly is, then something can really change in his city. Something can really change in his culture. And also, bless me. The third thing is this. Confront the hurt that you are carrying. Notice that I didn't say, confront the person who has hurt you. Confront the hurt that you are carrying. Sometimes we think that forgiveness and reconciliation are the same thing. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. Sometimes people mistake the idea of the command to forgive, meaning that they have to reconcile with that individual. And if they don't reconcile with that person, then they haven't really forgiven them. You need to understand that forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things in Scripture. Forgiveness, a command of Christ that we can do, whether the person that has hurt us or not responds at all. We can still do that process of forgiveness. Reconciliation, requiring two people to come together and build a new relationship together, be committed to doing that. And you can't always reconcile with the person that hurt you. And in some cases, it's actually not safe for you to reconcile with the person who's abused you. 
But what you can do is forgive them. What you can do is bring yourself to a place of releasing that hold that they have. And the way that you do that is you confront where that power comes from and the source of that power. That's in your emotions. That's in the things that you're carrying, the hurt and the shame and the pain and all of that. As you confront the hurt you are carrying, you expose it in order for it to be healed. My wife, who's a therapist, said to me last week, and it was, when she said this, it was like one of those mic drop moments for me. She said, you can't heal what you don't feel. And so often I think what we think is the way we forgive somebody for hurting us is by burying the hurt, ignoring the hurt, trying to pretend like the hurt's not there. And I love Peter in the film. He's like, Andrew, I was feeling all this stuff. And I had to say some things to God that I wasn't even sure if you could say to God. Because he had to let his feelings out. He had to find an expression of that. He had to make sure that those feelings didn't consume him. He didn't bury those feelings so deep inside of him that his whole life is shaped by those feelings. In expressing them, in sharing them, he was getting them out. In confronting the hurt, he was placing himself in a position to be healed and restored. Now, the reason why we can do this is because it's not like we're serving some God who's never felt anything in his life. Jesus, at the very core of the Christian faith, comes and takes on flesh, becomes one of us and feels our pain with us. He's not up on some cloud going, feel your pain. He's like, I have come to feel your pain. I have come to feel what's, what's even worse than you may ever feel in your life. I've come to take on the sin of the world on my shoulders, and I will be on that cross. And you know the words that come out of his mouth on that cross? Forgive them, Lord for they know not what they do. Jesus, in taking on the pain of the world, means that when we follow Christ, we have somebody who knows and understands an advocate for the pain that we feel. And there is no pain that we will feel that Christ has not already felt and not overcome. So confront the hurt you're carrying. Here's a a way you can do that. Just get a journal, get your phone with notes app or whatever. Sit down and say, Lord, here is what I'm holding. Here is what has happened to me in that situation. And here's the fear. Here's the anger. Here's the shame. Here's the hurt. Whatever it is. And you write it down. Just write it down. And writing it down, it's a prayer to him. It's saying, God, I'm, I'm not going to hide from these things. I'm not going to ignore these things. They're right here in my life. And I recognize them. And I recognize that these things are doing stuff that I don't like in me. And so I bring them to you. And pray and release those feelings. Ask the Holy Spirit to come and meet you in those feelings. Ask him to free you from the ways in which you feel. And you will find yourself set free in a way that you've never been felt before. I love the way Peter goes, there was such peace for him as he was able to confront the feelings he had in his conversation with God. Here's the fourth thing. Have a community around you. Rely on your community. Share with your community. The number one thing that the enemy will do with the hurts in your life is to cause you to make it private. The enemy wants you to soak in the privacy of your pain. And when you expose that pain, when you expose it and share it with the people that Christ has put around you in your life, that's what church is all about. That's what our community groups are all about. That's what spiritual friendships are all about. It's about having people in your life that you can walk with and say, this is how I'm feeling. This was a situation that happened to me. I need prayer. I need support. Paul, when he writes to the church in Galatia, he says this in, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. He says, carry each other's burdens. 
And by doing this, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Share your burdens with one another. And you actually live out the way that Christ wants you to live in this world. It's not about a privacy of pain. It's about saying, I can't in and of myself carry this. I can't deal with this. I need someone to pray for me, stand with me, encourage me, walk with me. Would you help me? None of us are adequate in and of ourselves to process and deal with some of the deep trauma that we carry And unless you process it, you'll carry it around with you for the rest of your life and never truly be free. The church is a great gift to you. Whether it's Oasis, having professional people supporting you, whether it's our prayer team here at the Vine after a service and having people who have prayerfully trained themselves in ministry of prayer to pray for you, or whether it's your community groups or people around you, get a community. Get it a community. That is an important part of the process of forgiving those that have hurt us. And here's the, the final thing. Turn to your future. It's really important that you know that your past is not the model for your future. You need to really understand that the brokenness and the pain and the hurt of your past is not the thing that determines the direction of your future. All it does is determine your starting point. And the whole of the Exodus, the word Exodus itself means, remember, a departure point. The whole of it means to depart from something. And when you find yourself in a place where you can do this, where, where you can turn to your future and say, I want the promises of God more than the pain of holding on to that. I don't want two eyes on my past. I want to have my eyes focused looking forward. As we turn to the hope of our future, we're able then to release our past and not allow our past to determine the direction of our future but instead allow God's promises, his word, his hope, his freedom to tell you who you should be today and who you will be tomorrow. Too many of you in this room, you're allowing that pain and that hurt to define who you are. God says, and also bless me. Release the pain. Break the power that it has in you through this subversive act of forgiveness. And as you forgive that you'll find yourself putting your hands on the plow and not looking back over your shoulder and be able to walk confidently into the future that God has you. And I want to close by saying this. This whole idea of and also bless me is perhaps the most significant thing that our city needs right now. Because if you think about all that's happened over the last four years with the protest time and the COVID time, And when you look at all the things that have happened in and through that, there are so many people in our city that are still holding on to the hurt and the anger and the bitterness and the brokenness towards one another. And I I tell you this, the thing that's really going to help Hong Kong to flourish, it is not going to be the best economy. It is not going to be the fact that we can all travel now and have great holidays. It's not going to be the fact that we don't have to be in quarantine anymore. The thing that's truly going to flourish this city is when this city is able to forgive one another. When this city finally gets itself to the point where it can actually release one another from the hurt that we have caused one another. And I don't know about you, but if I think about for me, there are many pharaohs that I can think of over the last four years for me. And maybe that is the same for you. And whether you're pharaohs of the government, the police, student protesters, COVID policies, 
restrictions that were placed upon you, laws that have been passed, whatever it might be for you, and also bless me. Because the true hope for our city will be when the church can demonstrate the power that there is in letting go, the power that there is in forgiving and loving even those that have harmed us and hurt us. So as you walk into your freedom, as Israel moves into their freedom, as Moses begins to journey them towards freedom, the first thing Moses has to do is say, I bless you, I forgive you, I release you, because I don't want anything that you have done to me to be a part of my present or a part of my future, and I am going to disempower the pain and the hurt by releasing it through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Releasing it so that I can truly be free. Some of you today, that's the greatest thing that you will ever do is find true freedom from your past so you can walk into your future. Can I pray for you? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for every person here in the room and online. Father, we just take a moment now to sit in the need that we have for your grace and your spirit. Father, I pray for every person because we are all carrying some hurt, some trauma, some pain, some challenge, some circumstance, some unforgiveness that sits within us. And though we might think that most of the time we can get away with it, we recognize that actually it's slowly disintegrating our soul. It's slowly hardening our heart. And it is holding us more captive than we ever realized. And so, Father, we come to you today in hope. We come to you with this profound idea that Moses had to bless Pharaoh as the very first thing he did in his freedom. And Lord, for us as a church to be free, for us as a city to be free, and for us as individuals to be free, we're going to have to learn what it is to journey in forgiveness. Father, as we put safety first, as we understand that we're in this battle of power, now that it ultimately sits in your hands, as we confront the hurt that we carry and don't allow that hurt to be the predominant thing that drives us, as we look to one another to support and find that community together, and as we decide to turn to our future, knowing that our past doesn't determine the direction of our lives. Father, in this, we ask that you would truly set us free. I want you just to take a moment just with you and the Holy Spirit. And just allow the Holy Spirit just to speak to you and meet you where you are at in this moment. Come, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to bring to mind for some of you people that he wants you to bless. People that he wants you to forgive. The Holy Spirit's going to show you maybe even some of the pain. Maybe some of the hurt that he wants to release from you. 
And as I said early in the message, some of you in this room, and I feel this particularly for this service, it's you who has hurt yourself. And you can't forgive yourself for something that you did in the past. God wants to release you from that self-hatred that you're carrying. Some of you, that's, that's a word I, I sense in my spirit as I'm praying, self-hatred. Some of you in this room, just you really don't like who you are. That's a work of the enemy over you. And we as a church stand with you. And we pray that you would come to see how God sees you and that you will be set free from the self-hatred that the enemy has placed upon you. And that you'll realize that your past doesn't determine your future. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Father, we stand in the hope. In fact, I just feel like we should do that. Would you just all stand with me? I want to pray this over you. Father, we stand in the hope that comes because of the work of the cross of Christ. And although this teaching today is challenging, Father, it will set us free. And so, Father, I want to pray that you would bring freedom for every person here. I want to pray for the hope that there is in the cross of Christ. I want to pray for the blood that we talked about last week to truly set us free. Lord, I want to pray against the strategies that the enemy has over each family, over each marriage, over each um, parent and over each child and over every business that the enemy has these strategies to lock us to the brokenness of our past when God wants nothing more than the hope of our future. Lord, I pray a releasing in Jesus' name to the hope and the glory of your future, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that people this week would feel a peace, a lightness, a release from emotions and feelings and pain that they've been carrying for for a long time. Lord, there are years that are being wiped away in the name of Jesus right now. Lord, I pray for the glory that comes. Lord, we thank you for Peter and the way that he can speak so positively now about the joy that is found in releasing those that had harmed his family. Lord, I pray for the power that will come for the vine out of a group of people who can release the pain and the brokenness of their past, who can walk into their futures facing forwards. Lord, I pray for the power that that would be for the city of Hong Kong. And Lord, we ask that you would do it amongst us in Jesus' name. Everyone says...